You are now listening to the Nothing But Backboard Podcast with your host, Joey Jerno. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Nothing But Backboard Podcast. I am your host, Joey Jergo. If this is your first time listening, I want to thank you so much. Welcome aboard. I appreciate it. If you are returning, thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate the messages, the emails, the calls. It's been much, much appreciated, so I want to thank you guys so much. Another huge shout-out to my boy Raza for the intro. If you are watching this on YouTube, please hit that like button, share, and subscribe. If you are listening to this on audio, you can find it on Red Circle. That is redcircle.com forward slash nothing but backboard. Again, that is redcircle, R-E-D-C-I-R-C-L-E.com forward slash nothing but backboard. You can also find this on the Google Podcast as well as Spotify. Now, we're going to dive into some news from this past week. We got a lot to cover because this is the go-home week prior to the All-Star break. So, first things first, this past week was the release of the second half of the NBA season. And the significance of that is the games that have been postponed throughout the first half of the season will be taking place during this time. Mainly some of the teams that were affected by multiple games due to the health and safety protocols includes the Memphis Grizzlies, the Chicago Bulls, the San Antonio Spurs, the Dallas Mavericks, among others. So those games that were postponed will be transpiring during the second half of the season. Speaking of the break, the All-Star break is coming up this Thursday, and we got the names of the players that will be on the reserves for the All-Star team. If you guys joined me last week, I made predictions for who would make both the West and the East reserves, and I was relatively accurate, but a couple key notes to point out from that. Anthony Davis, who was selected as a reserve for the West, will not be playing as he's still recovering from his Achilles injury, and he will be replaced by Phoenix Suns guard Devin Booker. And in the East, Kevin Durant, who's been dealing with the hamstring injury, and more importantly, the team captain of the East for Team Durant, will not be participating. Taking his place is Indiana Pacers forward, Demonis Sabonis. As well, on top of that, Jason Tatum, Boston Celtics forward, will be taking the starting spot for the East. Now, this year will be the fourth year that it will be going under a draft rules where it will be the captain, whoever was the leading vote-getter of the Western All-Stars, which is LeBron James. And this year for the Eastern Conference is Kevin Durant. Although he will not be playing, Kevin Durant will still be captaining and selecting his team for the draft coming up this Thursday. More details on that later on. One of the more interesting stories to come from this past week was the Minnesota Timberwolves fired their head coach, Ryan Saunders. Now, that last name may sound familiar to those that hear the Minnesota Timberwolves, and you are absolutely correct. Ryan Saunders is the son of former Minnesota Timberwolves head coach, Flip Saunders, and was replaced by the new head coach, Chris Finch, who was, at the beginning of the year, assistant coach for the Toronto Raptors and the crazy part about it was the fact that that transpired within minutes after Minnesota lost a game to the New York Knicks 102-99 on Monday night 
and it created a lot of controversy, mainly from guys like Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum with the Portland Trailblazers, who had assistant coach on the Minnesota Timberwolves staff at that time, who could have stepped in and been the interim coach. Now, sometimes a lot of firings that happen during the season, it's not uncommon, but the manner in which it happened with not only the firing, but then minutes after finding a new head coach outside of the staff definitely raised some eyebrows, and I'm really interested to see how that works. And the reason why I bring that up, and this is kind of important, because the Minnesota Timberwolves have not had a huge reputation of being a winning culture. If you look at the history, especially over the last 25 years, two of their best players, arguably their two best players in franchise history, Kevin Garnett and Kevin Love, they ended up getting traded, which resulted in championship titles for both, respectively. Obviously, KG in 08 when he went to Boston, and Kevin Love in 2015 when he played for the Cavaliers. My hope is for the T-Wolves in the future that this hopefully leads to developing a winning culture. Now, whether that is the hiring of Chris Finch, or if it's a change amongst the front office, in addition to their drafting and signing veteran players, I think that's got to be a huge step for the T-Wolves because... Up until the 2018 season, the Minnesota Timberwolves had a 14-year playoff drought dating back to 2004, where they had their best chance of making the finals with Kevin Garnett, Wally Zerbiak, Latrell Sprewell, Sam Cassell. And I hope, again, for the Minnesota Timberwolves, they eventually find that success. Speaking of moves, a lot of players have been released during this time. One of the more notable names has been the release of Houston center DeMarcus Cousins. Where, do we, where does he go next? I don't know, but I definitely see some contenders possibly making a move to sign Boogie to the rest of their season and hopefully make a late playoff push with him in their rotation. And for those of you that are really curious about college basketball, considering that March Madness is coming up in a few weeks, one of the bigger stories that came out of this past weekend was the Baylor Bears lost their first game of the season to the Kansas Jayhawks. And what makes it so significant, because Baylor was one of those teams that have been affected by the health and safety protocol, that have been affected by COVID-19, and they had a 22-day layoff prior to this week where they had their first game back after about three weeks and almost, almost lost to the Iowa State Cyclones before eventually falling to the Kansas Jayhawks. That could play a huge role come tournament time, not only for the Baylor Bears, but any potential teams that make the tournament field. We'll get to that in the next episode. Now, if you guys joined me last week, we like to go over my teams of the week and the players of the week. And what I find really interesting, at least to me, is that after doing some research and I looked on NBA.com after I posted my first episode was... I was pretty accurate and nailed it on the head as far as who they named their players of the week. Last week, I named James Harden and Damian Lillard, respectively, as the players of the week. NBA.com may or may not have eavesdropped on this podcast. You're welcome, Adam Silver. And they named them their players of the week. So, we're going to be doing this every week. So, let's get right into it. We're going to start off with my teams of the week in the Eastern Conference. Perhaps the hottest team in the league right now, riding a six-game winning streak, 
the defending Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat, who right now find themselves in the thick of the mush of the Eastern Conference with a bunch of teams that are sitting at 500 or just about 500 right now. But what makes Miami's streak so interesting is that they're finally getting healthy. Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, among others, have been dealing with the health and safety protocols throughout the entire season. But now that they're finally healthy, you're starting to see the team that made their run to the finals last year. To give you a bit of a recap of Miami's week, they started off this week beating OKC 108-94, to then following that up with a win against the Toronto Raptors 116-108. to Then they beat arguably the best team in the league record-wise, the Utah Jazz 124-116, to and capping it off this week with a win versus the Hawks 109-99. to Now, as for the Western Conference Team of the Week, there was a lot of teams that juggled around in my head as far as who was more deserving of the Western Conference Team of the Week. I could have went by default and just said, yeah, the Utah Jazz, they continue to win games. They continue to hold the best record, not only in the Western Conference, but more importantly, the best record in the league. However, I took a bit of a swerve. I had to dig through some games this week, and my Team of the Week is the Phoenix Suns who also capped off this week with 3-1 among four teams out west, which includes the Jazz and, of course, my Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors, who all finished 3-1 this week. But what made Phoenix's week far more significant than the other teams this week as we go through their schedule this past week, they started off the week with a huge win versus the Trailblazers, 132-100. to they had a close loss versus the Charlotte Hornets, 124 to 121. Then they won and beat Chicago, 106 to 97. And they won against the Timberwolves, 118 to 99. Now, the players of the week, at least for the Eastern Conference, it was a no-brainer for me. It's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes, if you guys are still struggling with the spelling of Giannis's last name, I'll help you out right now in this episode. Giannis Antetokounmpo, A-N-T-E-T-O-K-O-U-N-M-P-O. Giannis Antetokounmpo this week, his stats are as follows. 37 points a game, just under 11 rebounds, and just under 6 assists. But arguably the biggest thing that we've noticed in Giannis's week that he struggled with throughout this year falls in his field goal percentages. Not just from the field. I think his field goal percentages from the field are just fine. He shot 58% from the field. But the two big ones that people have criticized Giannis throughout his first half of the season. This week he shot 36% from the three-point line and 76% from the free throw line. Giannis was a guy that was a liability at the foul line shooting, hovering around 53-54% during the first half of the year, but he's starting to pick up his percentages as he gets more and more to the line like he normally does. As for my Western Conference Player of the Week, a lot of contenders. I was very tempted this week to pick Luka. Everyone I know, I had to pump the brakes on that a little bit, but don't worry. This week's Player of the Week, Phoenix Suns guard, Devin Booker, the newly minted all-star Devin Booker this week 
33 points a game, just under three rebounds, and a little over four assists. But his stats from the field, 54% from the field, 33% from the three-point line, something that's kind of been surprising to a lot of people for a guy, the quality of a shooter, Devin Booker's. He's never shot over 40% from the three in a season. But that's all right. He still put up 33 points, and he shot 84% from the foul line. As we look at the standings, if you look at the standings right now, we're going to start off in the Western Conference. Utah still sitting pretty at 27-7, and seven, three and a half games ahead of number two, Los Angeles Lakers, then the Los Angeles Clippers, the Phoenix Suns, San Antonio Spurs, Portland Trailblazers sitting at the six, Denver Nuggets at number seven, and the eight seed, if the playoffs were to start today, it would be the Golden State Warriors. If you are listening or you're watching right now, if you had the Golden State Warriors after losing Klay Thompson in the offseason due to another injury, if you had them in your playoff bracket, please give yourselves a pat on the back. Now, again, it's only the first half of the season, so anything can happen. But if you had the Golden State Warriors, props to you. But here's the interesting thing about the West, and the East is a lot more clunkier. But if you look out West, the fifth seed, San Antonio Spurs, all the way down to the number 10 seed, Memphis Grizzlies, are separated by two and a half games. That means five through 10, two and a half games back as we head into the All-Star break and as we translate into the second half of the season, it's going to get pretty tight. And what makes it really exciting, especially with those teams, is that there's that play-in tournament, which happened last year, and we'll dig that a little bit more later on in future episodes. On to the Eastern Conference. The Philadelphia 76ers still sit on top, a half game ahead of the Brooklyn Nets. Follow that by number three seed Milwaukee Bucks, who set a game back of Philadelphia. Then it gets really convoluted and really jumped up after this. If you named the New York Knicks the four seed in the Eastern Conference at the beginning of the season, I'd have thought you were crazy. Yet here we are sitting at the end of February with the New York Knicks as the number four seed. And not only that, but they're the only team outside of those top three that are sitting at above 500 at 18 and 17. Follow that up with the surging Miami Heat at number five, Boston Celtics at number six, Toronto Raptors at number seven, and the Charlotte Hornets at eight. And I told you guys a little bit earlier about how convoluted and clunky the Western Conference was with six teams within two and a half games back. Well, the East is a lot a lot more interesting. If you look at the number four seed, again, that New York Knicks team, at the four seed, all the way down to the 10 seed Chicago Bulls, they're separated by a game and a half. So that means seven teams are sitting within a game and a half of each other as we head into the All-Star break. So there's still a lot to play for for a lot of teams right now in the league. Games to watch. Now, I, I gave you guys games from this past week, I gave you games that are not going to be on national television, which again, here comes my plug for the NBA League Pass. So Adam Silver and anybody that works for the NBA, if you are listening to me right now, I want my royalty. 
I'll gladly take it via Venmo or PayPal, or you can just send me a check. I'll send you the address. Please let me know. You're welcome. So again, the games this week, as we head into the All-Star break, these are games that are not going to be on national television. But again, very important stuff to look after. So on Tuesday at 6 p.m., so anytime I give you guys times, it'll be in Pacific Standard Time. So on Tuesday, the Denver Nuggets play at Milwaukee. That's Tuesday, March 2nd at 6 p.m. Two teams, especially in Denver's case, who are still trying to find their identity as we head towards the All-Star break, and more importantly, as we head towards that late-run push towards the playoffs. The Denver Nuggets are still trying to make their way. Meanwhile, for the Milwaukee Bucks, riding a five-game winning streak at the time of this recording, the Milwaukee Bucks winners of five straight games. As I mentioned, Giannis is playing at an MVP caliber level per usual, but more importantly than that is that the Milwaukee Bucks have gotten back Drew Holiday after an extended period of time away with the health and safety protocols. Milwaukee Bucks are finding their groove at just the right time and could potentially find themselves within the thick of things as far as who comes out of the Eastern Conference. The following night, the battle of the top seeds in their respective conference, the Utah Jazz play at Philadelphia. This is Wednesday, March 3rd at 4 p.m. It's not much more about the Utah Jazz that I haven't covered in last week's episode. By the way, if you haven't, check it out. Utah still ranks top five in both offensive and defensive ratings. It's not much more to say to promote Utah as potentially being a serious threat to the Lakers and the Clippers as the top dog in the Western Conference. The Philadelphia 76ers have proven this year that they're a different team than they have been in previous few years under the coach Doc Rivers. You see Joe on the bead playing at an MVP level. We'll get to that question in a little bit. But again, that's Wednesday, March 3rd at 4 p.m. Utah at Philadelphia. <clears throat> the following night after that, got two things to look forward to. Thursday, March 4th at 4 p.m., Toronto Raptors at Boston. Two teams that could potentially put a scare in the Eastern Conference as far as teams that may be outside of that top four. Toronto, like I mentioned in last week, they're starting to surge. They're finding themselves, again, right in the thick of things in the Eastern Conference. And Boston are finally coming off a stretch of consecutive games won for the first time since late January. They're also getting healthy with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown spearheading that push. What might they do after the All-Star break come trade deadline? Who knows? I'm looking forward to it. But again, that's Toronto at Boston Thursday, March 4th at 4 p.m. Also on Thursday, the aforementioned All-Star draft between Team LeBron and Team Durant. That'll be happening on TNT at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we'll just get right into it. If you're Kevin Durant, more than likely your first pick is going to be Kyrie Irving. As far as who LeBron's first pick, well, you do have options. Since he hasn't played with him since he left the Eastern Conference, my prediction will be that LeBron James drafts Giannis Antetokounmpo. And another reason why I say that is, unlike other All-Star games of previous past, I've noticed that Giannis definitely plays at a, a high intensity level in an All-Star game. A game that's more a casual exhibition game. 
Giannis definitely brings that intensity. So I think LeBron will have Giannis as his first pick. Will I be right? Only one way to find out. Check it out on TNT. Thursday, March 4th at 5 p.m. Team LeBron versus Team Durant. And I asked you guys on Instagram and on Facebook this past week to send in questions. Again, for those of you that have sent in questions, whether they were basketball related or non-basketball related, asking about what I've been up to after high school, all these personal questions, I thank you guys so much for sending those in to me. From the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate you guys so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But let's take into a few questions this week. So first question actually comes from my sister. And I know she appreciates it because it's related to a comment that was mentioned earlier this week by Nets guard Kyrie Urban in regards to changing the NBA logo to the late, great Kobe Bryant. As far as what I think, should they change the logo to Kobe Bryant? Absolutely. I think the one incriminating thing about Jerry West as the logo of the NBA that's been synonymous for the past several decades is the fact that this generation doesn't know who Jerry West is. We were not educated as much on who Jerry West is unless you had those people from the previous generation that really spoke to you about who the logo was, how great of a player Jerry West was for the Los Angeles Lakers. But yet this generation, we can talk about Kobe arguably being the face of this generation alongside LeBron. My hope is that for everyone that is listening, that you guys appreciate not only how great Kobe was, but also how great Jerry West was, not only as a player when he was with the Lakers, but more importantly, his role in the front office, how he's helped change organ like organizations to success, the Clippers, the Warriors, what he's been able to do over the past decade or so with them, and even back to when he was with Memphis for a short time, Jerry West has been a huge ambassador of the game, and I hope for the younger generation and even my generation now that you guys understand how great Jerry West was. Thank you for that question, Ani. I appreciate it. I love you. Now, on to the second question comes from my buddy Nate. He asked, as far as Tyrese Halliburton goes, if he were to gain 15 pounds and bulk up, what weaknesses do I see in Tyrese Halliburton's game? I think for him, the next step is being a consistent scorer, especially coming off the pick and roll. He's able to do a lot of things on the offensive end. He's able to do a lot of things on the defensive end. But I think that next step for him, especially as he potentially becomes the backcourt mate of De'Aaron Fox, which I hope to see in the near future where I see a tandem of Fox and Halliburton in the backcourt starting for the Kings, or if further down the road, he ends up being a starting point guard. Cause I think right now Tyrese Halliburton could be a starting point guard for more than half of the league. I think for Tyrese Halliburton, especially in a league now where it's very perimeter centric and a lot of pick and roll game has been implemented in today's game. I think Tyrese Halliburton taking that next step is being a more consistent scorer, especially from that 15 to 18 foot range coming off the pick. He's, he's a decent to good spot up shooter, but I think off the dribble is a, an improvement that I see Tyrus Halliburton 
making and needing to take that next step forward to potentially becoming an all-star point guard. Speaking of Tyrese Halliburton, I feel really bad for Tyrese Halliburton because I feel like he's going to be this year's runner-up. Not only do I consider him the runner-up right now in the Rookie of the Year voting behind LaMelo Ball, but as well as the runner-up in the Sixth Man of the Year behind Utah's Jordan Clarkson. This question comes from my buddy Brad. Hey, Brad. Question. If you had to take one center right now to start your franchise, would it be Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid? I've got to go with the Joker. Nikola Jokic, to me, especially on the offensive end, his passing and his playmaking, possibly the best from a big man I've ever seen. And that's better than Vlade Divac, who was a talented passer. Better than the Casal brothers. And I could even throw in a guy like Joakim Noah. But Nikola Jokic, what he's able to do on the offensive end, in that respect, kind of takes it over the top for me. Although Joel Embiid, especially how he's played this season, for the Sixers and with Doc Rivers, he's been the more dominant low post player and he's a more engaged defender. Argued could be a top five, top 10 rim protector and low post defender. But what Nikola Jokic does night in, night out on the offensive end, it's a tough one, but I'm going to go with the Joker on this one. And the final question this is speaking of the Joker and the Nuggets. The question is. What did you think of the Nuggets' last play versus the Wizards? So if you guys have not seen this play, best way to describe it is a botched three-on-one play with Jamal Murray, Compazzo, and Michael Porter Jr. And there is a lot of things wrong with that play that I can dissect. But simply put, why on a three-on-one we're settling for a three? You're down two. Just take the tie. Go into overtime. Get stops, get quality baskets, you win the game in overtime. Instead, what ended up happening, and I will try to do my best to be a broadcast commentator for you guys to visualize this, is that less than seven seconds left, the Nuggets clear a missed basket by Washington, and Jamal Murray dribbles the ball up the left side of the floor with Compazzo running up the middle and Michael Porter Jr. flaring out to the right corner. What's wrong with that picture is the fact that, and a lot of coaches, I know Coach Tran, Coach Collins, if you guys are listening, you guys could probably agree, the ball should be in the middle of the floor because if the ball is in the middle of the floor, that guy, especially with Compazzo, how creative of a passer he is and a decision maker he is, that puts a lot more pressure on the defense as opposed to putting the ball on one side of the floor and eliminating any other option other than to put the ball on the opposite side of the floor. But how the play transpired is Murray picked up the ball, almost got doubled, and then ended up throwing a cross-court pass to Compazzo, and they took a three. When not only that, but you have a 6'10 athletic wing in Michael Porter Jr. who can rim run, get a dunk, once again, tie the ball game, go into overtime, and pull the game out that way. But you live and you learn. And I think what makes that play so interesting, again, it, it kind of shows you where the NBA is, not just the NBA, but I think basketball as a whole, where the three-point line is the more coveted thing rather than anything else in the game. The three-point shot, the three-point line, 
is the most targeted place. Case in point, we talked about it a little bit earlier with Joel Embiid. In previous seasons, Joel Embiid hung around the three-point line a lot more than he has this year. And you're seeing that a lot more with our bigs. And you see that a lot more with certain sets and certain plays and late game executions. And we'll dig to that in a future episode. But the three-point line has found its way. It's here to stay, whether we like it or not. Me as a guy that likes hanging around the three-point line, I personally enjoy it. But I think the volume and the amount of threes that are taken could be dialed down a little bit. And I think more half-court executions to get quality looks could be could be improved upon. And that was a case in point in that last play lack of execution with the Denver Nuggets versus the Washington Blizzards. So again, I thank you guys so much for the questions this week. If you guys are watching this video, please, please, please hit that like button, share, subscribe. If you guys are audio listeners, you can find this on Red Circle. That is redcircle.com forward slash nothing but backward. That is Red Circle, R-E-D-C-I-R-C-L-E.com forward slash nothing but backward. We'll be back here next week covering the All-Star game. Obviously the week that was can't wait we're going to be diving into the second half of the season as well and more importantly for those of you that are ready to fill out your brackets we'll be getting you ready for march madness so once again i'm your host joey jergo this has been episode two of the nothing but backboard podcast i thank you guys so much for joining me wherever you are thank you so much i really appreciate it i will see you guys in the next episode deuces